Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional medicine nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. And that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast. All things health, food, and nutrition. Unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. Hey friends, back with another show and today I have an interview lined up with Dr. Devin Houston, PhD the founder and CEO of Houston Enzymes. Now, the reason I wanted to bring him on the show is because I've gotten so many questions about digestive enzymes. It's one of those things that I just assumed everybody knew about, but turns out that's actually not the case. These questions are coming in from podcast listeners, but even within the groups that I run, the Carb Compatibility Project, Your Hormone Revival, and my private clients. So there's clearly a need for a deeper dive on digestive enzymes and what the heck They are. So today we're going to get into some of that. We're going to talk about, um, is it possible to have an enzyme deficiency? We're going to talk about how lactose intolerance can increase with age. We'll talk about keto and high fat diets. Um, How can you do those if you don't have a gallbladder? We'll talk about more how the gallbladder works and what happens when it gets removed, because that's quite common um, in today's world. We'll talk more about dietary fats, Uh, reflux, if you experience reflux, especially at night. And then we'll talk about how we, uh, how do you use digestive enzymes? Can you use them long-term or is that a problem? What's the best time to take them? And we will even get into food sensitivities and the problems with testing for them. Now, as some of you may know, if you listened to last Friday's podcast, I am creating my practitioner program as we speak. It's a way to mentor uh, and train other practitioners in functional nutrition. And one thing I talk about in that program is something I call the base six, six things that you can do with just about anybody, places to start with just about anybody to get them feeling better. And I also have what I refer to as my base six supplements. And digestive enzymes are one of those things. They're they're something that just about anybody can try. They have little to no risk and potentially a really great reward. Now, digestive enzymes are something that our bodies produce on their own. They break down food into smaller and smaller bits. And we'll get into all of this on the show, not only can they help to relieve digestive discomfort, and that's especially true if that digestive discomfort comes on the heels of eating, but they can actually reduce food sensitivities. And I just continue to see more and more issues with food sensitivities. So whatever we can do to help that out is is good in my book. I, I had a recent question come in from my carb compatibility project. Why Houston enzymes? That was the question. I just love the amount of research that goes into their products. 
Prior to founding uh, Houston Enzymes, the company, Dr. Houston served as a biochemist in academic and industrial enzyme research. So this is really his whole shtick. He really has a lot uh, of research behind him. And I think there's something to be said for a company who specializes in one thing and does it really well, rather than try to be the jack of all trades, like do all the things. Um, For example, I will always use a certain company for fish oil because I know that they source really well and they, they treat their oils really well. I'll use other companies for probiotics. And Houston Enzymes are my go to enzyme company. They're leading the charge on the enzyme game. I'm so proud and honored that they are a sponsor of the show. I would never take on a sponsor unless I was using the products myself, using the products for my family, using the products in clinic, and that is certainly true for Houston Enzymes. These guys are really top dogs, and I want to remind you that if you want to place an order, you can save 20% off of your first order at HoustonEnzymes.com if you use the coupon code Houston. 20. I'll put that in the show notes so you can check it out. And before we dive into the interview, there's one thing I want to highlight about Dr. Houston's story that didn't come up in the interview. And that is he first founded Houston Enzymes back in 2001 as a way to help a group of families with autism. Children with autism often experience digestive issues, gut issues, food intolerances. And he found that parents were searching for products that could help with these food intolerances and support a healthy gut microbiome. So he formulated the first digestive enzyme products for the dietary needs of those with autism. And they they work well beyond that community of people. But I just thought that was kind of an interesting, um, I always like to know where how people get started. And I thought that was kind of an interesting little nugget. Now, heads up, before I hit play, there was a couple of funky audio things. There's a cat or maybe a bird yelling out at the start of the interview, but the little guy does settle down pretty quickly within a minute or so. So don't worry about that. Um, there's also a slight delay in some spots for some reason. I tried to edit out the obvious gaps, but uh, just bear with me there because I'm not exactly mix master mic. Anyway, without much further ado, here's the show. Okay, so Dr. Houston, um, my listeners are pretty savvy when it comes to digestive health overall, but just in case somebody out there is listening who doesn't have a good working understanding of what an enzyme is, uh, specifically a digestive enzyme, can you give a brief definition or explanation just so we can start this conversation off all on in, all in the right foot? Sure. Um, I can give you what the, the we call the textbook definition of an enzyme. And uh, an enzyme is a special type of protein that is able to accelerate chemical reactions that would otherwise not occur under conditions suitable for, for life to, uh, to exist. So they, they are considered catalysts. Um, they can cause... We can do chemical reactions in a test tube, um, and it may take conditions such as high temperature or pressure or alkaline or acid conditions, and it may take uh, a while to do it. Um, but we can use an enzyme, can do the same thing under very mild conditions, and it can cause a reaction to occur in seconds. So they are very powerful proteins. Uh, they are regulators of many types of metabolic reactions in the body. Um, they're found in every living organism. 
Um, but uh, yeah, and there's there's tens of thousands of, of enzymes that do many, many things. But we're, for the purposes of this discussion, we're gonna be talking about digestive enzymes. And those are the enzymes that are designed to break down the food we eat, uh, whether that's proteins, carbohydrates, or starches, or fats, and can bake, break them down to their basic units. Um, for proteins, that would be amino acids. For carbohydrates, that would be simple sugars. Fats, it would be short-chain fatty acids. And once the body has, or once the enzymes have converted the food you ate from a meal, um, during that process, usually in anywhere from uh, to 10 to 12 hours, you've got all that food you ate converted to waste. And in the meantime, the, uh, the uh, uh, enzymes have broken it down to the, the small subunits. And then the body uses these as raw materials to build the uh, things that they need, that the body needs specific to that animal or person or human, whatever. So um, yeah, these are the things we use that, that make us able to consume many types of foods. Um, and uh, they work in conjunction with the gut to uh, accept them as something safe uh, the gut is able to convert food from foreign substances that would otherwise be allergenic uh, into something that, that we can use. I feel like some people just took a trip down memory lane back to um, high school science with the enzyme and catalyst talk. Um, you know what's interesting? When I, when I do, I do an annual stool test on myself just to get some, I consider it preventative medicine, see where my, my digestion and my microbiome are at each year. Um, my pancreatic, uh, elastase always comes low, always comes back low. And I'm curious, I mean, I have sort of a, a, a long standing health history with digestive dysfunction. Um, but I'm curious if certain people just need ongoing extra support in the enzyme department. Yeah. Um, but often not in the way that people think they do. Uh, we tend to think in terms of, um, of having an enzyme deficiency. And honestly, the, the only real enzyme that we, we lose activity in is, is the enzyme that breaks down uh, the milk sugar, lactose. By the time we hit our 30s, probably 90% of us are lactose intolerant to some degree. Um, the actual thing is that our pancreas, which is the, the organ that produces the, the most and the primary types of digestive enzymes, probably puts out more than enough to break down the, the foods that we eat. So, um, but, and this gets where it gets a little bit complex, but it's not so much if you're missing an enzyme, um, it's basically where those enzymes come into play. And um, again, you know, you cut me off here if, if, if it's getting too much down a, a rabbit hole, but okay. um, the, the, <laughs> the pancreatic enzymes come into play after the food has left the stomach and moved into the small intestine, the first part of the small intestine, the duodenum. Um, and once food moves into the small intestine, uh, that's where absorption 
really starts taking place. The stomach only absorbs certain things, um, sugars, fats, alcohol, water, um, but the main thing they don't absorb is proteins or peptides, the little fragments that are produced from partial breakdown of, of food proteins. And proteins and peptides are probably the, the main source of potential allergens or food intolerances. So the fact that they're not absorbed in the stomach but are absorbed in the small intestine uh, means that we have an opportunity to address that issue. And the nice thing is if oral enzyme supplements are acid stable and they move the, the action of enzymes breaking down foods upstream to the stomach. So enzymes being acid stable, working under acidic conditions, they can start the breakdown process much earlier because the food in the stomach is not going to move out of there for oh anywhere from two to four hours after you, you eat a meal. So during that time, if you're taking an enzyme, it's working there in the stomach, it's breaking down the you know carbs, start, depending on the type of enzyme you took, it's going to break down those, those foods that are particular to that specific enzyme. So three or four hours later, when the stomach empties, those foods have already been broken down to a certain extent. And um, for example, if you have a, uh, you know, a, a intolerance to casein, the protein in dairy, the um, enzymes or the protease enzymes that work on food proteins have had enough time to, to modify that casein enzyme that when it gets down to the pancreatic enzymes, um, the peptides that would normally be produced during quote unquote normal enzymatic digestion are not produced. And so those that are, that are potentially a source of an intolerance or that make a intestinal upset or distress, they're not there. They've been modified in, in a way that they're more more broken down. Um, you change the way that the, the proteins are broken down. So in that case, you've, you've kind of defused a potential bomb. Uh, by the time the food moves into the area where absorption takes place, uh, especially the proteins and peptides, there's just no longer there. So you get getting this head start on, on food breakdown is really important for a number of reasons. You can, uh, um, just going back to what I once said, you're, you're, you're addressing those issues, those foods that are particularly distressing, but in general, just speeding up the breakdown process, you're, you're, you're not putting so much stress on the, on the small intestine area. Um, the pancreatic enzymes shoot out and they can do the finishing work on that food. Um, there's not so much undigested food laying around in the small intestine uh, or later on in the colon for um, gut bacteria to feed on, which would are likely to produce gas and that bloated feeling that many get after, after eating a meal. So, um, and I, I can point to just my own personal, because I'm, you know, being the developer of, of several enzyme products, I can tailor my enzyme intake to to the particular meal. Um, now I've uh, I've always been lactose intolerant. I've uh, 
I don't have my gallbladder anymore, so fatty foods can be an issue. Um, I'm in my 60s, and you know, time you get in that decade, you, you're starting to have GI issues. The, the food you could tolerate when you were in your 20s may not be able to tolerate later on. So, um, I don't, and you know, things like uh, a salad. Doctors tell us we should eat more greens and more vegetables and stuff. But if I eat a salad, it just, my gut's really not used to that. I'm kind of a, a steak and potatoes kind of guy. Uh, this is just what a nutritionist body. wants to hear. And uh, Yeah, exactly. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I have tried to change. Uh, but yeah, um, so, and we all know, or evidence has come out lately that, you know, your diet can affect the microbiome, the, the type of bacteria in your, in your gut. So that's why for me, if you're used to, if I'm eating, you know, chicken and ham and um, mashed potatoes and such, and then all of a sudden you stick a, a salad in front of me and I'm eating all these raw veggies and stuff, my gut's bacteria is like, wait, what is this? This is not what we usually see. And they get a little upset. And uh, the thing is, uh, if I take the right enzyme product, that addresses those leafy vegetables. I'm not going to have the the rumbles and the and the cramping and uh, such that often account uh, occurs with with that kind of change. Um, not having a gallbladder and and every doctor tells you, well, you'll need to cut down on the on the fats in your diet. And uh, you know, being a southern boy, I'm that's kind of hard for me to do. But uh, there are enzymes called lipases that address and break down those those fats uh, in the stomach. So I don't have to worry about undigested fats in the, in the intestinal tract, um, mixing with the bile acid and causing issues. Uh, so... Um, yeah, can I jump in here? Um, I'm seeing, you know, in my, in my practice, I see a lot of women um, who have have had their gallbladder removed or they're dealing with gallbladder issues. Um, and on top of that, we, we layer on the fact that the ketogenic or a high fat diet is quite in vogue right now. And I see people struggling with this just because they're having a difficult time breaking down their fat, even though it might be a good decision for them metabolically, uh, digestively, it can be kind of a disaster. So can you talk a little bit more about the, the lipase that you just mentioned? Yeah, uh, keto is is very popular right now, and honestly, I I tend to to go towards that kind of diet um, as well as paleo, and the what what is uh, you know the most outstanding feature of those diets is that they are high fat. Now you want to make sure you're getting the good fats, um, and they are quite essential. Um, in my opinion and the opinion of a lot of other people as well. The thing is, um, even having a gallbladder, it's still difficult enough if you're on a high-fat diet, uh, especially if, if it's a change from what you're normally uh, putting into your, into your stomach and intestinal tract. So um, the thing about a lipase enzyme, it, it uh, basically takes those long chain fatty acids that are on the triglyceride molecule cleaves them off and those are then early on much earlier than what would normally occur if you didn't take a lipase enzyme 
instead of waiting for the lipase enzyme in the, in the intestinal tract to do the work, you have the enzyme supplement um, in the stomach that's breaking down those fats. And that's, there's a couple things that's happened there. Fats, dietary fats delay stomach emptying, which means if uh, a non-fat meal, your stomach empties in three hours, well, if you have a high-fat meal, it may be five or six hours before your stomach empties. And this can be potentially harmful, if, especially if you're um, experiencing a lot of reflux or, uh, um, you know, or on antacids and that type of thing, especially if it's an evening meal. And so you're, you're laying horizontal in the bed and you've got all this fat delaying your stomach emptying and all the contents of your stomach are suddenly you know, getting back up into your esophagus. <clears throat> so um, anyway, by breaking down the fats in the stomach, you get rid of the delay in stomach emptying, and then you just have short-chain fatty acids that, are, that can be absorbed directly from the stomach. Uh, so you get that head start. Um, but then if you don't have a gallbladder, the gallbladder, now the gallbladder is a storage area for, uh, for bile produced by the liver. When you have your gallbladder removed, <clears throat> they connect that uh, tube from the liver or the bile duct directly from the liver directly to your small intestine. So you have a constant flow of bile from the liver into your, into your GI tract. Uh, but you, you've eliminated the, what the gallbladder did was when, it, when the body or the GI tract sensed larger amounts of fat, the gallbladder would squeeze out more bile. But now you've lost that control mechanism for doing that. You just have a constant amount. And now that you can't regulate when you have a high fat diet, all of a sudden you can't get that extra amount of bile to mix with the fat and uh, help break down those fats. Um, I've heard it referred to as like a slow trickle versus a squirt. Yes. Yeah, you have this constant trickle of bile into your GI tract. And the doctor will always tell you, hey, that might cause some loose stools and come in and we can give you a drug that'll accentuate that and not. So what my doctor told me, and I said, no, nah, that's all right. I've got an enzyme that'll take care of that. So, um, and, it, and it does. Uh, I've actually had no problems with uh, handling the fat in my diet. And, uh, but yeah, it, um, you know, without having to know all the ins and outs of the science behind the enzymes, you can just, and that's the other thing, the safety factor of the enzymes, that people can just experiment and try a uh, particular enzyme, it should work uh, with the meal that you take it with. So you'll, you should get feedback pretty quickly as to whether the enzymes are working for you or not. Um, so yeah, I, I have my own personal uh, collection that I, I tend to go to. And again, I can tailor it to, to the type of meal. And you know, I, by talking to a lot of nutritionists, uh, such as yourself, uh, I do make an attempt to to uh, have a better diet, especially, again, as you get older, you start, you know, uh, feeling the need to, uh, to take better care uh, of your diet. Now, again, I luckily I got involved in the um, supplement industry early on in my 40s, so I was able to make a lot of good changes early on. So... Uh, you know, we can't all just rely on our genetics. Uh, environment plays a toll. 
and diet is considered an environmental factor. So it's very important that we, we modify our diet to, to uh, our particular lifestyle or to, to help our particular lifestyle. And the thing is, whatever diet you're using, whether it's a normal diet or paleo or keto or um, any other kind of diet, you can usually find an enzyme product that will help you make that diet work better for you. I'm curious about the long-term use of enzymes. Is is there any downsides of this? Could this potentially keep your body from producing their own, or is that not exactly how it works? That's a good question. Uh, a lot of people worry about that. Um, there, there was, a few years ago, there was some concern as to whether taking oral enzyme supplements could uh, feed back on the pancreas. Uh, and there are some people that that think that there still is, but it's never been proven. Um, and really, the way the pancreas works, the pancreas is always producing digestive enzymes in an inactive form, and it stores it in the pancreatic duct. Once it senses the acidic food coming out of the stomach, that signals there's some hormones that are released from the uh, intestinal lining that makes the pancreatic duct uh, contract and squeeze out the sodium bicarb and the pancreatic enzymes. And uh, it just kind of does it in a, you know, all out. It's an all or nothing phenomenon. Just pushes out all these enzymes onto the food mass and uh, starts working. Um, really, the pancreas has no way of determining whether or not you're taking an enzyme supplement. So uh, the consensus of most of the scientific community is, is, is that no, there is no feedback mechanism for uh, detecting uh, exogenous enzymes or extra enzymes from, from your diet. So I no, the short answer is no. There's no, there's no long-term or side effects. Um, the enzymes aren't absorbed from the GI tract in a, in a really significant amount. There is some percentage, two to five percent, that may be absorbed systemically. And this is the basis of what they call systemic enzyme therapy to quote unquote, uh, you know, cleanse the blood of, you know, impurities and such, which again is a, is a kind of a, uh, an area of, of, of a debate. But uh, the thing is, there's a lot of, there's a several factors in the, in the blood that would recognize those absorbed enzymes and quickly uh, bind to them and take them out of circulation. Um, so you would have to take a lot of enzyme very uh, frequently to get that kind of systemic effect. But the, the thing is that in the majority of the enzyme for digestive purposes is gonna stay in the gut. And often, even if it lasts all the way down to the, to the end, it'll be eliminated in the, in the uh, intestinal waste. So, but no, they, they don't go rogue. They don't, that's the nice thing about enzymes. They're very specific in what they do and uh, we know what they don't do as well. Um, for example, if you take a lactase enzyme, but you don't eat any dairy, so you don't have any lactose, then the enzyme's not going to do anything. It just kind of hangs around and eventually gets uh, pooped out or broken down by our own enzymes at some point. So they don't hang around, they don't accumulate in the body. Um, 
so there's the, the, the enzymes you took at breakfast aren't going to be around to help at lunchtime so they stay with the meal that you took them with and uh, like I said they're, they're probably one of the safest supplements in the market you um that's a good that's a good point um and I don't want to forget to to mention that what is because I don't think everyone has a, a good understanding I get this question a lot when do you take digestive enzymes well um I say anytime remember but if you're talking about the optimal time think in terms of that these enzymes are going to be working in the stomach um so I, the optimal time would be just right at the beginning of a meal or even slightly before a meal. If you're taking it in a capsule, the capsule is designed to dissolve uh, within 25 minutes. So um, if you want to time it exactly, you could take it a half hour before a meal and the enzyme powder would be dissolved and waiting right there for the food. So you're prolonging the contact time between food and enzyme. Uh, as long as possible and then you're getting the enzymes every much more of a chance to do complete breakdown of the food before it leaves the stomach okay that's that's super helpful i want to circle back around you had mentioned food intolerances a couple of times and this is a big a big 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 thing that we're seeing more frequently i would say um and so a lot of folks have questions about food intolerances and one thing that's a little bit misunderstood is our um you know, our bodies, our immune systems don't negatively respond and react to amino acids, but they do, it can, to um, bigger protein structures. So what we have to do is appropriately break down our foods, as you were mentioning earlier in the show. We have to do that so then our immune system doesn't get confused, tripped up, and over-respond in a negative way to the foods that we eat. So for those who are experiencing negative uh, food reactions, do you think that, I mean, there's a, there's a million and a half different ways you can test for food sensitivities. I'm not a necessarily a huge fan of food sensitivity testing like the Everly Wells or things like that that you can get pretty easily. Um, I don't think that they're entirely accurate. And I think that a lot of people will do like a IgG or an IgA food sensitivity panel they get really stressed out because the the food panel comes back with all of these sensitivities and they're not always like true food sensitivities. But so I tend to say, hey, before going through the process of spending money on a food sensitivity test, it might just be helpful to start with some good quality broad spectrum um, food, food digestive enzymes before doing that and see if your symptoms... Uh, resolve themselves. Would you agree with that statement? Oh yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I have I have the same issues with with testing. I I get these comments or emails all the time from customers that took their child in or they went in for testing and and they say, oh my gosh, uh, you know, I the test results say I'm I'm allergic to you know 25 different foods. And so my first question is, okay, um, have you eaten those foods in the past? Well, yeah. Did you notice any problems, distress, GI issues? Well, no, nothing that I can remember. And so then I said, okay, here's the deal. Food testing is, is usually based on some kind of antibody testing. And the testings today are so much more sensitive than they used to be. So usually they do what's called an ELISA test on these things. And uh, 
again, the, the antibodies they used to use were, were not very pure. Uh, they were mixtures. Now they've got very, very highly purified enzymes, and they can detect minute amounts of, uh, of material. So, you know, I say take it with a grain of salt. If you if it shows you're allergic to carrots and you've eaten carrots and they, you know you don't have an issue with it, that's a, pretty much don't worry about it. Um, of course, if you're breaking out in hives or um, you know getting rashes or you're having severe diarrhea or nausea, yeah, then obviously you you have an issue with it. But in more likelihood, at some point your body produced antibodies to something in the carrot. And your body has, your immune system has a very long memory and keeps that template of that particular antibody circulating just in case. Um, so something that may have happened years or decades ago where your body produced an antibody to some part of a carrot molecule, um, it gets detected in these, in these uh, allergy assays or allergy testing. Um, and I, I agree, they, they are more of a source of concern and stress than they are helpful at times. So, uh, yeah, I just like go by your, your, your everyday reality of, of what you're eating. Um, people pretty, can pretty much tell when what foods are, are bothering them or, or cause issues. And it may take a little detective work. You can narrow it down, uh, you know, to a, a particular type of food or such. But in the for the in general, it's it's proteins, food proteins that are most likely to be potential allergens. And to address a, a statement you made earlier, yes. Um, and um, as an example, when in one when I was in academics, we used to make antibodies to certain proteins. Uh, we would, um, and, or to actually to peptides, to very small pieces. Now, the smaller a peptide is, the harder it is to make an antibody to it. So we can make, it's much, much easier to take a large protein and inject that into a rabbit and produce antibodies. Take a small peptide, which is just maybe seven or eight amino acids, totally different story. Because you're under the, the radar of the immune system. Um, it's, it kind of goes by the size of the protein. And if it's set at a certain level, anything that's under you know, a certain, certain number of amino acids is not going to be picked up by the immune system and they're not going to make a, uh, re, or react to it. <clears throat> so we would couple, we would couple peptides to, large, to a large protein <clears throat> and inject that into the animal and, and it would make antibodies to a bunch of things and then we would select out the particular antibody for that peptide. But same way, your body has a surveillance system and that's the helpful thing about protease enzymes or enzymes that break down proteins and doing it early on before they get to the sort spot where they're absorbed or potentially absorbed, you're breaking down those large proteins much, much more thoroughly and differently than what would occur in your normal digestive process. So again, by the time the food moves out of the stomach and it's been sitting there with the enzymes and the enzymes have been working away on breaking down those proteins, time it gets into the small intestine, um, those proteins are much smaller than 
than what would normally have occurred. And then the pancreas enzymes can do their job and do the finishing work. And then you just have amino acids. But yeah, the, the immune system does not react to, immune, uh, to amino acids. They're just too small. Um, so yeah, and you're, you're correct. The thing is, and that's the whole purpose of behind digestion is to take, take these huge uh, molecules or these huge components of food and break it down to the smallest basic building block, um, amino acids, sugars, and fatty acids. So anything that, that helps in that process, and that's what enzyme supplements do, they're just helping that process along is a benefit. And that's the whole reason, the whole reason why we, we digest foods. Talk, can you talk to me a little bit about the no phenol product? Because when I was, you know, I, I've been using your product line for a couple of years now, and, and most of them are pretty straightforward. So lipase, breaking down fat, you know, I use personally use the trienza because um, I, I like the broad spectrum digestive enzyme. And I also always carry it around anytime I'm eating outside of the house to, um, to sort of buffer any gluten cross-contamination or casein cross-contamination because I'm sensitive to both. But um, the, the no phenol one was a little bit of a surprise for me. So can you tell me about why you develop that particular product? What it is, first of all, what, it, what is it? What does it do? And, and why you thought that was important to add to your product line? The no phenol product was completely customer-driven. <clears throat> it was, uh, I had uh, two products out of the time, the, the AFP, Peptizide, and Zyme Prime. Um, there was, the Zyme Prime contained an enzyme, a small amount of an enzyme called xylanase. Um, but, you know, I have to back up here. Some parents were noting that uh, their ch some children couldn't tolerate uh, certain fruits and vegetables, especially the brightly colored uh, fruits and vegetables like oranges, blueberries, strawberries, um, squashes, those type of things. And, um, but they noticed when they gave their kids Zyme Prime that they seemed to be a little bit better at tolerating those foods. So they started asking me why that was happening. I had no idea. So, but I knew the Zyme Prime, something in the Zyme Prime was helping. So I took each of the enzymes in that product as an individual enzyme, got them from a manufacturer and I started giving them out to, to different families to, to try out the different enzymes. And it came back that the xylanase enzyme, head and shoulders was, was above and beyond, was, was doing the bulk of the work. So I said, okay, so we just, the nofenol is basically a high activity of the xylanase enzyme. I mean, most, products at the time were, if they had xylanase in it, you're talking, they would put maybe 50, you know, 50 to 100 units per capsule. I put in 32,000 um, in, a, in a capsule. So uh, again, no, well, high, <laughs> high activity is not going to be dangerous. But uh, it did wonders for letting these kids tolerate these um, uh, foods and I, got, I remember this one, e, one email from a mom saying, uh, I'm writing this and my five-year-old son is holding an orange, jumping around the kitchen, uh, just so happy that he can eat an orange now. Um, so I thought that was kind of amusing. But it, it also drove home the point, 
that what we take for, so many of us take for granted the foods that we can eat. And here this little kid was just the happiest thing in the world that he could eat an orange without developing a rash or uh, dark circles on his eye or red cheeks and red ears or, or even stomach upset. So it took, actually we now know years later that it, there's, a, there's a contaminating enzyme in the xylanase called a glucosidase. Um, which is a, it's a that's a broad category, but um, basically takes a, um, the the polyphenols that plants produce have a have a sugar chain connected to them, and this sugar chain is supposed to be removed during digestion, and then that allows the polyphenol to be absorbed. Um, if it's not removed, it accumulates in the gut, and I think what happens is it, it triggers eventually will cause some type of histamine reaction, and that accounts for the red cheeks, the red ears. And such, nothing really dangerous, but you know, it's just something that doesn't want. And it just kind of pointed to the fact that there's an issue. So again, what the nofenol is doing, it's it's just helping you assimilate those polyphenols, which and they're good. Those are the antioxidants and anti-carcinogenics and uh, good compounds. That is the reason why we eat fruits and veggies. Um, so it's basically just again helping the digest, your, norm, your own digestive system do what it's supposed to do. And so obviously if, you're, if, the, if you have children taking these enzymes, enzy- we can, it's safe to say that enzyme, digestive enzyme use is safe for children. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. Um, you know, um, that, in the early years, we, we did a lot of hand-holding and uh, you know, reassuring that you know, yeah. Look, these are just proteins. Um, it's they're not going to hurt your hurt your child. Now, enzymes are proteins, and any protein can be an, uh, an allergen. And unfortunately, there are some people who react to certain proteins or certain enzymes, and that's why it's important. I tend to to formulate enzyme products with the least number of enzymes needed to do the job. I don't like throwing in enzymes just so I can put it on the label and make it look like it's a quote-unquote better product. Um, because if someone, if you if you have to taking an enzyme product that has 15 enzymes in it and someone is allergic to just one of those enzymes and there's no way they can take the, the product at all. So my philosophy of product development is to identify the problem, use just those enzymes that are needed for that particular problem, and then use high amounts of that. And try to keep it all in one capsule, but sometimes you need to. Uh, that's the other thing. If you're cramming 25 enzymes into a product, sometimes you either need, it, it, to put it in one pill, you, you need an extremely large capsule, or you need to take three or four capsules to, to equal that. So again, um, use the highest activity enzymes available, um, use just those needed. And then, of course, you do have broad spectrum like the Trienza, uh, which came along late in the game because people were ordering two or three or four of our products and basically said, you know, okay, is there some way you can put it all in one and get the same effect? Um, and I had resisted for a long time, but I finally relented, and um, those are extremely popular right now. But again, those are broad spectrum. Um, you, the downside of those is the enzymes used are in a 
you know, particular ratio. Um, we tried to mimic what people were taking with our other three products and and put those in the in the product. Um, but again, I you know, and it's fine. Uh, it's it's it does well. In fact, Trienza is our best seller. But I still personally like the the other products because they're you, again, if you have a little knowledge about how they work, you can target you know those take those enzymes that are needed for that particular meal because uh, we all don't we don't eat the same foods every meal so um, you know you may not need a, a, a lipase for one meal uh, you may need more of a, a high protease enzyme if you're taking a high protein meal um, that type of thing so just uh, letting people mix and match and customize their enzyme intake based on their lifestyle and diet, I, I think is a preferable way to do it. Yeah, I think that sounds that sounds like a good plan for a lot of folks. So um, Dr. Houston, thank you so much for coming on the show and explaining to um, listeners a little bit more about digestive enzymes. I, I really do get a lot of questions about these guys, and I just feel like there's such a they're such an important piece of the puzzle and they're, you know, it's something that you can take at a relatively low cost with little to no side effects that can make a really big profound difference, not only in, in the nutrition that you're deriving from, from food, but also, you know, to minimize your, those negative food reactions that I know that a lot of our listeners do have. So thank you. Um, thank you again. And I appreciate you coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you 